0: of my sermon tonight is The Coming Messiah, The Coming Messiah. As most of you guys already know, I am from the town of Stratford, Connecticut. Stratford, Connecticut is located on the eastern end of Fairfield County along I-95, about an hour outside of New York City. Now often I have pretty good memories of my hometown, uh, the place where I spent the majority of my life at this point. Uh, I went to Wilcoxon Elementary School, where as my sixth grade teacher I had Mrs. Wilcoxon, which I always thought was enjoyable. My home church was Stratford Baptist Church. It is still Stratford Baptist Church. And I have many memories. I was listening to the kids running around. The kids were running around crazy. The, the Bettina, Lena, and Ming, and Cameron and Katie were, were playing some hide-and-go-seek game. And I have many, many memories of doing the same thing growing up in my, in my home church. And then, of course, there's Paradise Pizza, the best pizza place on the planet. So um, we're still trying to find its match around here. But it, it is some very good pizza. But to tell you the truth, I don't always like going home because, in reality, I've lived for the last 14 years of my life away from my home. I have not lived this. When I go home, it doesn't really feel like home. You know, my hometown is no longer the town of my childhood or birth type thing. You know, I have a new hometown. And you can say that Niles, Ohio is my new hometown. But even in reality to there, I've lived in so many different places in the last four years, it's kind of crazy. It's hard to tell where my hometown is. Now here's kind of the point. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a town located about eight miles south of Jerusalem, but he spent most of his life in Nazareth, a town about 90 to 100 miles north of Bethlehem. So that's about the journey that Mary and Joseph would have taken to get to Bethlehem, a 90 to 100 mile trip on a donkey. So just think about that for a while. Jesus only spent the first two years of his life in Bethlehem before God told Joseph to get out of there. He says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, um, an angel told Joseph in a dream, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. The reality is, if it was not for the birth of Jesus... No one would know anything about Bethlehem because you figure David was born in Bethlehem, yet you never really heard about the city of Bethlehem, the the town of David, until after Jesus was born. No one would be visiting Bethlehem in Israel if it wasn't for Jesus being born there. But, of course, that is exactly where he was born. And it's significant that he was born there because the prophet Micah told us he was going to be born there. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was foreseen hundreds of years before he was even alive upon this earth. So this evening, I would like to take a look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2, uh, this Old Testament passage that predicts the location of the Messiah's birth as Bethlehem. In doing this, we're going to learn a couple different things about Jesus, our Messiah. But before we go any farther ahead of ourselves, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done for us. Bless us now as we worship you and lift you up. Allow us to focus on you and you alone and allow us to know that you are just an amazing God who cares for us so greatly and that you would send Jesus to this earth who is you in human form so that we could one day go to heaven. He came to earth so that we could be with you. I thank you and I praise you in your name. Amen. Turn with me to Micah chapter five. Micah chapter five. It's that little book that we skip over when we we read. It's one of those minor prophets hidden in there. Micah chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2, with verse 2 being the the key. But I'm going to start at verse 1 to gain us something of a context before I really focus on verse 2. So Micah chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 1 to start with here. Micah the prophet writes to Israel, Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With the rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. So this first verse of Micah chapter 5 is predicting the coming invasion of the Babylonians and their king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. We know about him quite a bit from the other, the other books um, that are in the Old Testament, um, books of the prophets, if you want to call them that, including Jeremiah and the book of Daniel. Micah was telling the ruler of Israel, most, more than likely the king Zedekiah, that he should muster his troops in preparation for a coming invasion. The Babylonians were on the way, and Micah said, hey, get ready. And, of course, Zedekiah really didn't uh, heed the warning. Zedekiah was to be struck on his cheek with a rod, and to strike someone on the cheek was to humiliate them. Like if you slap someone in the face, you're humiliating that individual. This is pretty much what took place to Zedekiah when the Babylonians invaded Nebuchadnezzar had him tortured more, more or less. I remember. Right, I think he was blinded. Now interestingly, Zedekiah was the last king from the line of David to sit upon the throne in Jerusalem, the last king of the line of David. Of course, the implication here is that one day the Messiah will return and physically plant himself upon the earth. This, of course, is Jesus, ruling the world through or from Jerusalem from the throne that Zedekiah vacated uh, what going on. 2,500 years type thing since uh, since Zedekiah had been upon that throne. So let's look at verse 2. I want to look at verse 2 and try to figure out what we can learn about the coming Messiah, who, of course, I believe is Jesus Christ. He's already come from the perspective that the Jewish people are looking for, but we are also going to find out tonight that we can look forward to him returning as well. In doing this, we're going to find a fulfilled messianic prophecy, a prophecy about the coming millennial kingdom, And then finally, a biblical truth about the Messiah. So those are my three points. First of all, the fulfilled messianic prophecy, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Look at verse 2. Micah begins, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Ephrathah, which also could have been understood as Ephrath, uh, was the older name for Bethlehem, and also possibly the name for the surrounding areas. So Ephrath uh, was really just another name for Bethlehem. They have two names for the city, and like I said, more than likely it was more of the older name, and and it was in reference to the outer areas uh, of Bethlehem. Uh, King David was born in Bethlehem. We read that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, as well as the uh, pretty much all of chapter 16 in the beginning of chapter 17. Which is, of course, why the city is called the City of David. We hear that so frequently. It is described by Micah as being too small, too little to be among the clans of Judah. This is in reference to the Old Testament lists of the cities where the clans of Judah resided and how Bethlehem's not on that list. If you looked in Jude- um, Joshua chapter 15 or ne- uh, Nehemiah chapter 11, you would not see Bethlehem in those lists of the cities that were resided by or had the clans of Judah, the Judeans, living in them. Now, it is here in this city that the long-awaited Messiah would be born, the long-awaited Messiah. And, of course, this is fulfilled prophecy because we believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And if you really think about the significance of it, it is truly a miracle that he was born there. I mean, Caesar Augustus was under the... I mean, I'm going to give it away tomorrow night's sermon a little bit. But Caesar Augustus was under the control of God because if Caesar Augustus called for that census any earlier or any later, there's a good chance Joseph and Mary would not have been in Bethlehem for his birth He would have either been born before or after. Nonetheless, Joseph's ancestors were from Bethlehem. So as a result, when the census was ordered by Caesar Augustus, he was forced to take his future wife, Mary, who was engaged to him and nine months pregnant, along with himself to the city of his ancestors to Bethlehem. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 tell us, While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, something that I believe confused the people of Jesus' day regarding his hometown or birth town, birthplace, was the fact that he spent the vast majority of his life elsewhere. Remember, he was only in Bethlehem for the first two years of his life. Then he was 30 years old when his ministry took place. So he was outside of the city of Bethlehem for 28 years when he began his ministry. Uh, This is something that we read from John chapter 7. John 7 verse 40 to 44 says this. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words from Jesus, were saying, this certainly is a prophet, or is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. You see, if the people only listened to what Jesus had to say, they would have learned the truth about who he was. I mean, how hard is it to ask him a question? Hey, where were you born? It doesn't really make any sense. And he might have told them, I'm born in Bethlehem, but I lived most of my life in Nazareth. And instead, they just heard what they had to hear and they ignored all the other information and and made up their own mind regarding who he was. And, And kind of what I was thinking is how this is so very true of today as well. So many people, starting while Jesus was upon this earth and continuing right up until this day, have ignored the message about Jesus from the word of God. They've ignored what it said. So my question is, how about you? Are you listening to what the word of God says? Romans chapter 10 Verse 14 to 17 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Then verse 16, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17 is the key. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. The Bible talks about the first advent or coming of Jesus, but sadly, many in Jesus' day rejected the word of God and said that the fulfillment and the fulfillment of it in Jesus the Messiah, they rejected it. So my question is, how about you? Have you rejected the biblical message of Jesus, or have you embraced him? The Bible also talks about Jesus' second coming. He will come back again. When Christ returns, he will be ruler over all the earth, including Israel. Which leads me to my second point here. The second thing we can learn about Jesus from the Messiah from Micah chapter two, verse uh, chapter five, verse two, is a prophecy about Jesus' second coming. The Messiah will be ruler in Israel. The Messiah will be ruler in Israel. Look at Micah chapter five, verse two again. It begins, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. While the line of David's rule in Jerusalem ended with Zedekiah, the Babylonian exile, and the Babylonian exile, one day the Messiah will be ruler in Israel. This part of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 points to the Messiah being of the line of David. This is another Messianic prophecy fulfilled. The Messiah had to be of the line of David. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 6 tell us this in the genealogy of Christ. The prophecy yet to be fulfilled is that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be ruler of Israel as well as the rest of the world during his thousand year reign upon the earth during what we call the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 to 3 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. This is John the disciple recording a vision that he had while on the island of Patmos. Um, one of the last recording, recorded words in the New Testament. He said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Revelation goes on to tell us that despite the devil's release, he is doomed from the beginning. Uh, what is that song, um, Mighty Fortresses of God? And, uh, one of the verses says, And lo, your doom is sure, or I believe is what it says. And I've always thought that was so very true because the devil doesn't realize that. But in reality, the devil is done. There's no coming back from this. The devil's done. The battle's been fought. It's already written down. John already witnessed it into the future. The devil might think he's got things under control, but in reality, the devil is just going to go right back to hell where he belongs, and he's going to stay there. The rest of Micah chapter 5 goes on to inform us about the Messiah's thousand-year reign. So this is just a quick, if I decided to keep on preaching, we'd be here all day, but this is some... Um, Different examples of how Christ, Israel's ruler, will accomplish several things during the millennium, uh, the millennial thousand-year reign. Uh, First of all, he will reunite and restore the nation. That's verse 3. He will care for his people and give them security, verse 4. The ruler will destroy Israel's enemies, verses 5 to 9. The ruler will also purge Israel of her reliance on military power, verses 10 and 11. The ruler, meaning the Messiah, again, will destroy false worship from within Israel. That's verses 12 to 14. And then finally, verse 15, the Lord will judge the nations who oppose him. So again, this is what the Messiah, the ruler of Israel during the millennial kingdom, is going to do. So the application for us is this, though. One day, Jesus is going to return. He's going to step foot back upon this planet. Are you ready for him? Are those you care about ready for him? My answer, or my hope is that your answer is yes. Let's take a side trip. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Keep your finger here. We'll be back for that last uh, uh, point in a second. Well, let's start off by going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 down to verse 11. The apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, uh, he writes this, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you. This is in reference to the end of times, by the way, verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live according, or live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing." So one day Jesus is coming back, and Paul was telling the church in Thessalonica, Hey, pay attention, because he could come back at any point. It's been a, been 2000, going on 2,000 years. We still are waiting, but we don't know when it's going to happen. But when it does happen, the Messiah, Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah for the Jewish people, will return for the second time and rule in Israel. Number three. So the third thing we can learn about Jesus from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is a biblical truth about the Messiah. The Messiah is eternal. The Messiah is eternal. So the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. That was the fulfilled prophecy. Then we have the Messiah will be ruler over Israel or in Jerusalem over Israel. That is the future prophecy. And now, of course, we have this biblical truth. The Messiah is eternal. Let's look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in its entirety. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And here's the part that we're focusing on now. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. I think one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted elements of our Christian faith is the divinity of Jesus. This morning we talked about how Jesus came to earth, added humanity, and a lot of people take that to mean that he is no longer divine, he is no longer God, and that's by no means the case Many people try to put Christ into the box of being merely just a human being, being only a man. But Jesus has existed from the beginning because Jesus is God. John chapter 1, verse 1-5 to 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, or light, yeah, light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then my text from this morning, John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his, made his dwelling among us. He ha- he, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. In truth. If the Messiah was not eternal, meaning that he, Jesus, was nothing more than just a regular man and completely absent of any divinity, then he would not have been a very good Savior. Bottom line the Messiah had to be God because only God can save us from our sins. James chapter 4, verse 12 begins There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Man couldn't save us. Man couldn't destroy us. Only God can do that. If the Messiah was only a man, then his death would have been nothing more than an average man's death. But the Messiah was not just a man. Jesus was God incarnated. Jesus was God upon the earth because God came to earth in order to save you. Only one who is eternal can make others eternal. Only one who is eternal can make others eternal. It makes sense, right? The eternal Messiah is the only one who can grant eternal life. If I if Jesus was nothing more than a man, he didn't wouldn't have the power to grant us eternal life because he could doesn't have eternal life. You know, how could Jesus, who's only the man in this hypothetical situation, give us eternal life if he himself wasn't able to obtain eternal life? He needed to be eternal in order for us to have eternity. The eternal Messiah is the only one who can grant eternal life. Bottom line, our Messiah God is the only one who can grant eternity in heaven for those who believe. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus, the eternal Messiah, has offered all the world eternal life. Jesus has offered you eternal life. What are you going to do about it? Bottom line. Let me close up with this. I like history and um, one of the, I, I like history and I like like the space program. That was always something I enjoyed, right? And uh, in, in 1986 was a pretty difficult year. So I, I, some of you were there, I wasn't there. I wasn't even born yet. So I can't enjoy 1986 as much as I could have. But these are some things that happened in 1986. This is how, not 86, 68, sorry. Got my numbers picked up. I was here in 86, I was not here in 68. So 1968, the United States was actively involved in the Vietnam War with no clear end in sight. Of the 549,500 United States service members serving in Vietnam that year, 16,592 lost their lives. The war cost the US 350 million dollars which equals over $526 billion today. So if we were to do the inflation deal. On April 4th of 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King, civil rights activist, was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Throughout that year, 168 civil rights riots broke out across the country. Then, only a couple months later, after Martin Luther King, on June 5th of 1968, Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated while leaving a Los Angeles hotel following uh, winning that state's, uh, the California state primary for the Democratic nomination for president. Then in August of 1968, during the Chicago Democratic Convention, protesters were beaten by police on national TV. 668 people were arrested and 111 were sent to hospitals. It was a pretty rough year, and I wasn't even there. But despite all this, something did. the year did end pretty awesome. This is the space element of it. Uh, from Christmas Eve until Christmas Day of 1986, for 20 hours, the Apollo 8 spacecraft orbited the moon. And I'm just, I wish I was alive then because I think it's unbelievable. The idea that this ship, like no, up until this point, no manned ship had ever been to the moon. And I look up at the moon and, my, you know, my generation, we look up, we take it for granted. Yet I can't even begin to believe like that was the first time. And then if you've ever watched any of the documentaries, they weren't 100% sure that booster was going to light and send them back. Like there's some, some that say that they felt they only had a 50-50 chance of getting back from the moon. That if the thing didn't light, if the, the rocket didn't light on the command, uh, what do what they call it, not command module, I guess command module. If it didn't ignite, they would still be orbiting the moon right now. No one probably would have ever landed on the moon, at least not at that time, not the way it did. But then on Christmas Eve, Apollo 8 made a live broadcast to Earth. During the broadcast, the crew read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, as they filmed the Earth rising above the horizon of the moon. An amazing scene that no one had ever seen before. you think about that, that was the first time in human history that man had seen the earth rise. Because, you know, we're on earth, we can't see it rise. So amid a year full of trials, there was a bright light at the end of the tunnel. And the same same thing is true for us every day of our lives. When life seems hard and you feel as though there is nothing you can do, that you feel like you can't bear it any longer, remember that you have a God who loves you very much. God loved you so much that he came to this earth in the form of a man, and the man Jesus Christ, he died, on the, he died a sinner's death upon the earth, and more than a sinner's death. He died the death of a common criminal upon a cross. And, of course, the beauty of the story is that he didn't stay dead because Jesus rose from the grave, giving us eternal life. When you need encouragement to make it through your days, turn to Jesus, your God and Messiah, knowing that he will give you strength. Let me close in prayer. Dear Lord in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for today. Bless us now as we do our best to just remain focused on you and trust in you no matter what. Allow us to know that you are the one true God in heaven who saved us from our sins and granted us eternal life. Because of that, Lord, we can praise you. Because of that, Lord, we can acknowledge you, Lord. Uh, So many years ago, 2,500 years ago, Micah wrote these words about Bethlehem. 500 years, give or take later, they were fulfilled. And now we've been here 2,000 years, able to say that we are saved by your grace. But Lord, we also know that you're coming back one day. And I ask that you just give us the ability to look forward to that day and allow us to know that you are there for us no matter what we have going on. Lord, in your wonderful name, amen.